0: Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Let's go, let's flip right to slide number two. We're going to look at the Christian Missionary Alliance mission statement. We we just sung about this, and um, I want to look at slide number two. There it is. The Alliance mission to exalt Jesus Christ as Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King, and to complete His Great Commission. How if you were paying attention, we did, we did, did just sing on, on those themes. And uh, Pastor Bo and I didn't talk about it ahead of time. But when you're singing about Jesus Christ, when we're worshiping the Lord together, uh, there's only so much that we can sing about. And it all points back to the one person of Jesus Christ. But that is the mission statement of the Alliance. Uh, the Alliance talks about being an Acts A Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 uh, says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the Alliance wants to be that kind of a worldwide family that will go to the ends of the earth uh, to reach people with the gospel. People especially who who are in parts of the world that have little access to the gospel. Some people ask me, uh, especially my Baptist friends uh, that I grew up with, maybe that I went to school with, that I studied with, they'll say to me, hey, you're, you're not in the Baptist church anymore. Where, where, where are you at? What church are you in? And I said, I'm in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. They're like, what is that? And I'd never heard of it either until I came into it. And uh, I said, well, it's if you take the Baptist church and you fix everything that's wrong with it, you have the Alliance. That's what you have. And when I say that to some Alliance pastors who are formerly Baptist people, they don't disagree. Now, that's all said tongue-in-cheek because I grew up Baptist. I was, went to a Baptist church, went to a Baptist college. I even got my master's degree in a Baptist college. The Baptist General Conference now Converge. But right now I'm taking some classes at the Alliance Seminary um, but if, if you fix everything wrong with it. I remember uh, maybe uh, four or five months ago. Oh, it's been longer than that. It's, uh, man, maybe it was even last year. I took my Equinox to, uh, to a place in Des Moines, and I, I asked them, you know, what's, what's the problem? Just tell me what's wrong with it. And so they came back with like a nine-page PDF replete with pictures of the problems, and they laid out what what all the issues were, and if you fixed everything wrong with the car, it would only cost me $7,400 to fix everything that was wrong with it. Well, it wasn't worth in Kelly Blue Book that much, so I did a couple things, you know, to keep it going, to extend the life. Unfortunately, I ended up running into somebody in Des Moines, and it got totaled, and then I had to get the money for it, and get a different vehicle, but they gave me this whole list of everything that was wrong with it. Five years ago this month, I moved into my home here in Newton, and they gave me this uh, home inspector report. You've seen them probably. I mean, some of you maybe not for a long time. A list of all the things that were wrong with my house. There were a lot. There were a lot of little things, nothing major, nothing serious, but there were a lot of little things. I fixed like the first Two or three that were easy, and then I don't know. I filed it away. It's it's somewhere, and then I I didn't. But a whole bunch of stuff, and I wonder if God were to do a report on you, not a home a report or a car report, but what if He did a life report, a life inspection, a human inspection? What if He had access? We hear a lot about investigations these days in the news. Well, what if God had access to all of your files? What if God had access to your phone? And all of your past text messages and all of your past conversations, relationships. What if he had on record everything that you've ever said or done to somebody or felt in your heart toward people? What if your whole life was laid out on a PDF with pictures of all the stuff that needs to be fixed about you? I hope you're encouraged this morning to be in church, right? I mean, that's a little bit intimidating, isn't it? So there's, there's a lot that could be on that list for any of us, for any of us. So this morning I titled the message, put up the title slide. I titled it the Jesus, Jesus fixes everything wrong with you. I had like three or four titles before that and none of them really None of them said what I feel like this passage teaches us. and They were like appropriate titles. You know, they were like sermon titles. And i like, no, this is, this is a little bit informal and a little bit clunky, but Jesus fixes everything that's wrong with you. He fixes everything that's wrong with me. That's good news. Good news that I fear we don't really believe half the time. We don't believe often. I want us to read Colossians chapter two, verses uh, six through fifteen. If you've got one of those handouts, it's right on the front with some blanks on the bottom. But just before we do that, would you would you join me in prayer? I'd like to pray. Well, God, we come before you this morning, and we are well aware of our weaknesses our sins, our faults. And we're so thankful that you reached out to us with good news. We're thankful for what Jesus did for us on the cross. Lord, this morning, this passage that we're going to look at, Lord Jesus, it says so much about you. Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts to receive from your word this morning? Would you open our hearts in a way that we could begin to believe that you really have fixed everything that's wrong with us? That if the report were run, it would just be blank pages. God, it's hard for us to believe truth sometimes. So I pray, Lord, that you would, that you would free us some of us this morning who have been kept in bondage, that you would release us from guilt and from shame, from fear and anxiety. God, you'd help us to believe that what you say in this passage is really true. So we open our hearts to you this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Colossians 2, verse 6 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The powers and authorities. The powers and authorities. I like what Eugene Peterson says in the message paraphrase in that passage. He says something to the effect of Christ stripped them naked and paraded them down the public street. He made a public spectacle of them. Of what? Of Those who would say to you, did God really say, and all of his forces, uh, the Bible calls him the Satan, the accuser, There's actually a definite article before his name. He's the accuser. Did God really say? On the cross, Jesus disarmed Satan and his forces. So let's look at this in your handout. Uh, The first thing on there, I've got letters on there. I don't know why I did letters. Letters don't help me. Um, But the first one, you you are rooted in Christ. You're rooted in Christ. There's a tree in my front yard. I mentioned this in the first service, and I wasn't even thinking of this, but thankfully somebody came up to me and said, hey, I got a great person who could take the tree down out of your yard. We just had one taken down a couple weeks ago. So they're going to send me the number. Um, that's not really what I use the platform for, but I'll take it this morning. Um, roots are important. Root, the root system of any living plant or tree is so important. If the roots get cut off, there's, there's no way for the tree or the plant to be nourished. My daughter got some uh, plants that we had to go south of Norwalk, uh, I forget the name of the town. The town where that uh, tornado came through earlier this year. Uh, but she had us buy these plants for her. And I'm like, okay, well, well, they're special plants. Okay, so we drove all the way down there. We got these plants. We bring them up. She's got one. It's, it's uh, I don't know what it's called. They're flowers that she planted along the sidewalk. This one's taller than me. It's like this tall. The The trunk on it is like this big. They're like these weird African marigolds or something. I mean, it's really tall. You, you walk down her sidewalk and you're like this, trying to get down the sidewalk to get to your car. These, these huge, huge plants. The roots in them must be doing their job. I don't know how big they are, but they're sucking up everything that it needs to get from the dirt. Here this says that we're rooted in Christ. I heard one time that the Iowa corn is some special variety that has deep roots, that even if it doesn't rain, it pulls the water from deep down underground, right? Roots are so important. You are rooted in Christ, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. It's not like a, oh, I got saved, I was a believer, I prayed this prayer of faith, and, and that changed me, and now I've got my life. No. That that has an ongoing consequence. We get to live our lives in Christ, he says, rooted and built up in him. Now, if you had to root your life in something or someone, isn't it kind of cool that the scriptures say we're rooted in Jesus? That's like footings of a a structure, right? Right? Jesus being, oh, maybe like the cornerstone or the foundation or the rock. And in biology, we're rooted in Christ. How do you feel about that? Does that make you like, uh, feel a little bit better about yourself as a believer? You're rooted in Jesus. You're not rooted in yourself. You're not even rooted in your faith or your ability to exercise faith day by day. You're rooted in Jesus. You're built up in him. And then the second one on your your handout, you're full of faith and thankfulness. It says rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, an interesting thing here in verse 7, you've got rooted, you've got three things that are then summarized in the fourth. You got rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, three, and then it says because of these three things, you're abounding with gratitude, with thankfulness. You're, there's, a, there's an abundant life. Jesus said I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. It's an abundant life when you're rooted in him, when you're built up in him, when you're strengthened in your faith as you were taught, then because of that, you're abounding with thankfulness. You're overflowing. You have a life of abundant gratefulness. And that's pretty cool. So what I didn't say was, uh, at the beginning of this handout at the top, it says, Jesus fixes everything wrong with you because. This is not conditional. In other words, If you place your faith in Christ, if you do what Jesus described in Nicodemus, if you're born of water and of the Spirit, if you believe that you must be born again and you place your faith in the one who says, I am the way and the truth and the life, nobody comes to the Father except through me, then if your faith is in Jesus, then these things are true whether or not we believe them. And my challenge to you this morning would be, man, believe it. Take yes for an answer. Don't, don't leave money on the table here. I mean, there's a, lot, there's a lot that's said here. So this abundant life that Jesus wants to give us, it happens when we're rooted in Jesus Christ. The third thing, I think it's the third one on there, you're not deceived by human tradition and philosophy. Jesus fixes everything wrong with you because you're not deceived by human tradition and philosophy. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So it's like, okay, well, you you could have a teaching and a philosophy that depends on Jesus Or you can have other stuff, right? Other stuff. Elemental spiritual forces of this world. This hollow and deceptive philosophy. Where might we find hollow and deceptive philosophy? I think last week I referenced Genesis chapter 3 where, I I think I just said it this morning, where Satan says, you know, "Did, did God really say that you're, gonna, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. You're fine. You're fine. There's that YouTube guy that always does the pff. Anybody ever see him? Mr. Pff. Oh, you're not going to die. You don't worry about it, right? Satan's Mr. Pff. No. God was telling the truth. When they ate of it, their eyes were opened. And all of a sudden, their life had years to it. And it had an end to it and they experience physical death. Where does this hollow and deceptive philosophy come from? It comes from Satan. How will he get it to us? Through communication. How did he do it back in the garden? The snake said something to Eve. How is it happening today? Oh, man, there's so much communication coming at us today. There's so much. There's so much. Some of you, as soon as you wake up in the morning, you check your feed, right? Right? You check you know, all your stuff. Pick an app. I don't know. Just pick one. You, you, you're right on there and you check it. Some of you don't do that. Don't do that. Some of you, later in the evening, you sit down in your easy chair and you turn the TV on. You turn on your favorite you know, news channel. Some of you listen to podcasts. Others listen to the radio. right? There's all kinds of media coming into our lives from all different places. The good, the bad, and the ugly. But you've got to know, right, Satan... He uh, doesn't really do anything new and improved. He does the same thing over and over, and he trips us up every time. But he's going he's gonna to be piping hollow and deceptive philosophy into our hearts and minds as much as he can, as much as he can. And so we have to be careful about that. We have, in fact, he says, he says and it, we don't feel it in English, but the first few words of uh, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive. You know what? See to it that you do. Right? That, That insistent, that demand, see to it. That's what Paul is saying here. See to it that nobody takes you captive through this hollow and deceptive philosophy. It's out there. Don't be taken captive by it. Don't be grabbed by it. Something that I'm not really going to talk about because it would be a whole other message, but that's flowing through this passage is this idea of this idea of idol worship, worshiping idols, worshiping idols. We're going to see here in a minute uh, made by human hands. It's a it's a glance back to Isaiah and to Jeremiah, uh, where God is telling His people, "Why do you cut down a tree?" And with half of it, you chop it up and you use it to cook your food on the fire. And the other half, you fashion it into an idol and you bow down and worship it. Why do you do this stuff? You shall have no other gods before me. Do you really think that we wouldn't make idols out of stuff? Like, we make idols out of stuff. The Israelites were idolaters. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira... What was their idol? Money. Uh, How people thought of them. They wanted people to think that that they sold the land and that they gave it all to the church. Their idol was popularity and acceptance by others. Their idol was maybe stuff and money. They wanted to keep some of it back. We all have to be careful about what is in our life that's an idol. I looked at so many passages in the Old Testament this week, and I'm trying not to preach so long. I kind of got long winded last week, but there's so many in the Old Testament where God just says, You know, your wealth, your security is in your horses and your chariots and your army. Your security is in your wealth and in your crops and in your family. And God steps up and he's like, I am the God. I am the God of Israel. I will deliver you. I will provide for you. Just let me do it. But no, you you turn your back on me and you walk away and you do. I teach you how to walk and then you let go of my hand and you go off and you do your own thing. And we're like, if you think about it, we can be just as guilty. Just as guilty. So we have to see to it that we're not taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Oh, my word, I'm part of the problem, but there are so many podcasts out there. You want to talk about hollow and deceptive? When I start hearing, I I might have mentioned this several months ago, when I start hearing Christian podcasters giving credit to the universe, oh, it it just so grates me, it drives me crazy. It's like, you're a believer, Give credit to God. The, the universe is not the universe. The universe is created just like we're created. Not just like, we're actually created a lot differently. But it's just the universe. God, that's hollow and deceptive philosophy. Throw your energy out there in the universe and it will come back to you. That's a great teaching, but it's not true. It's the, no. We give our energy to God. We give our life away to God, and that's how we get it back, right? We lay it down, and God takes it, and he uses it. The real story is so much better because it's actually a person. It's actually a God who creates us and loves us and wants us and gives us the ability to do stuff. The truth is so much better. Why call it this power or the cosmic forces or... I mean, I love, I love people that are in the world, I, and I love talking to people who have all kinds of different ideas. I love engaging people who don't think like me. I care about them. I love them. I, but I, I just want to tell them the truth is so much better. It's so much better. It's the God who knows and loves and cares and wants you. The truth is so much better. Okay, the next one. You're tr- you, are, you truly are in Christ. We're truly in Christ and and. God has fixed everything that's wrong with us. You know, you can get that, that list from Satan. He can accuse you and he can have a mile-long list and it's all true. And you look at God's list and it looks like that. There's, there's nothing on it. There's nothing on it because we're truly in Christ. Verse 9, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you, you have been brought to fullness. You're not lacking anything. You're not half full. You're not 99% full. You're, you're 100% full. You're filled with the Spirit of God. You're filled with the righteousness of Christ. You're filled with hope. You're filled with light. You're filled with life. In Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Earlier, he said that he was the head of the church, which is his body, right? He's the head of the body of Christ. But now it says that he's the head over every power and authority. Remember John 13, before he washed the disciples' feet? Jesus knew that all authority had been given to him, that everything had been put under his feet. He had all authority. God has given him all authority. Philippians chapter 2, that... God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee bows, every tongue confesses. That's powerful. The next one, your sinful flesh has been defeated. In verse 11, it says, your whole self ruled by the flesh. Uh, In the King James and Romans, it talks about the old man, the old self. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off was cut off when you were circumcised by Christ. The spiritual cutting away of that sin nature, of that, the curse of Adam. When Jesus comes, the second Adam, he, he cuts that away, he, he gets rid of that. And then you've been buried and raised with Christ. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which also you were raised with him, through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, we're connected to, we're, we're aligned with, we're one with. It was as though we were on the cross with Christ and our old self died with him. It was as though we were buried with him and our old self was in the grave and it was as though we were raised with him to a new life. We have a new and again the King James, I don't remember what it is in the NIV but a new man, a new person probably a Anthropos, a new Anthropos a new human new creation new creation this is what God does for us and so this is why He says having been buried with him, and then it says raised with him. Do you buy it? I mean, in our culture, in our day and age, you throw something out there and people pick at it and they you know, they see if they like it or not, and eh, eh, and they'll walk away from it. It's what we do. It's what we do in our culture. So we come into church, why are we any different sometimes, right? We're we're enculturated people. So I throw this out there. You were buried with Jesus. You were raised with him. And baptism is just a picture of that. It's just a physical, symbolic picture of of being buried and being raised. But it's a picture of a reality. Because we could say, well, we weren't really... Buried with them. We weren't really, no, we really were. We really were. Because the spiritual is so much more important than the physical. In fact, later on in, in Colossians, we're not going to get to it today. Um, uh, but verse 17, th- these are, well, he says in verse 16, therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day, these, these practices, baptism, everything in the temple, and the tabernacle, all these things, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Oh, oh, the reality. So the baptism, the physical baptism, that's just a shadow. The reality is that we really were buried with him. We really were raised with him. We really are new creations. We really have had everything broken about us fixed in Christ. We really do have fullness in him, who is the fullness of the deity in bodily form. These things that are shadows, they're, they're teachings, their illustrations, their object lessons. The spiritual reality is much better and much bigger and impacts us. Then the next one, you've been forgiven all your sins. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, when you still had the sin nature, the, the curse of sin, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. There's a problem in the conservative Christian world. It's been a problem for about 100 years. It's us receiving forgiveness because, yeah, we were forgiven, but we have to be appropriately guilty and appropriately ashamed for our sins. Don't go flouting the grace or the forgiveness. You've got to hang your head in shame a little bit too. Don't think you're anything when you're Nothing. You're just a worm, right? We have a hard time. I think the reason why so many Christians are harder to be around than people out in the world is because they've never really received God's forgiveness. It's there. It's it's money on the table, and they're just leaving it on the table. It's, It's go every other row, and you've left half the field out there there's the harvest is there, but you've only gone, you left half the field out there. It's like when you teach your kid how to mow the lawn and you go out and you see all these big stripes of grass and it's just driving you crazy. You just want to go down and mow them all the same. You left it out there. It's like leaving half the field unharvested. Leaving the tips in the jar and don't take them out and don't count them. This forgiveness. This forgiveness. What if we really are forgiven? What if we really are clean? What if the sins we committed this past week are really never going to be laid against us? What are the implications of that in our relationships? What if the good story and the good news isn't too good to be true? What if it really is true? He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. It it stood against us and it condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Wow. You want to go find... It's like if if I came into your home and I, I got your mortgage papers and I took your mortgage and you have so much that you owe... And I go to the bank and uh, uh, I pay for it. I would if I could. I would for all of you if I could, right? You would for the rest of us. We just, we just pay for it. And your, your legal indebtedness is now gone. It's gone. You could take it to the bank. Jesus said you could take it to the cross. You could take it to the cross. I paid for your sins. And for us to have any amount of guilt or shame... Are we not taking what's left for us? Are we leaving? Are we not taking yes for an answer? Uh, uh, God, I'm pretty bad. I'm pretty bad. I, I, I can't. Like, like a gift that's too uh, exorbitant, too, too big. It's embarrassing to take a gift that big. Oh, oh no, I, I can't. Oh, no, 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 take that back. Take that back. Do we do that to God? You have low self-esteem sometime. And you feel guilty and you feel embarrassed and you feel ashamed. And when you when you're like that, challenge yourself. Are you saying to God, "No, God, no. I can't. I can't take that forgiveness." How would we live if we believed we were forgiven? How would we live? Would we sin more so that we could be forgiven more? doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. When we believe that we can be forgiven, we would sin less. We would sin less. The last thing on here is that Christ is triumphant, disarming the powers and authorities. Disarming. It's the picture of the two groups of guys in the movie that show up with the guns. And they've all got guns. And they're all pointing them at each other. And they're all looking to the leader of each group. What's going to happen? What are they going to say? And somehow in the end, one side gets disarmed. And once they're disarmed, they have no power. They have to do what the other side tells them to do. And it says, in having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus did, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, who would you think was the public spectacle? Jesus. He was on the cross, perhaps naked, bleeding, dying. The cross wasn't a positive thing back then. He was a public spectacle. Whoop! He turned it around. Triumphing over them by the cross. What if you could really believe that God has fixed everything that's wrong with you because of Jesus? He has. He has. Believe it. Take yes for an answer. When my when my daughter was little, we had these little golden reader books, right? You probably still have them out there. We still have them. We still have this book, I'm sure, or we gave it to her, Mr. Bell's Fix-It Shop. Anybody here ever remember a little kid's book called Mr. Bell's Fix-It Shop? Oh, nobody in either service. Oh, I thought you were raising your hand, Trenton, just trying to stay awake. Mr. Bell's Fix-It Shop. We fix everything except broken hearts was the sign on the door. And this little girl gets to know Mr. Bell and her doll, her favorite doll, ends up ripping or something happens to her and she's ruined. She's broken. And somehow Mr. Bell finds out about it. And so I think her name was Molly, but I can't be sure. But Molly brings her doll to Mr. Bell's fix-it shop and Mr. Bell fixes her. And the last page of the book, when you turn it, there's... There's the store, and you can see Mr. Bell and Molly are inside, but the sign on the, out, on the outside of the door says, Mr. Bell's fix-it shop. We fix everything. And the word accept is crossed out, and it says, even broken hearts. Oh, shucks. I could almost shed a tear thinking about it. It was my daughter's favorite book. We would read about Mr. Bell. You know what? God fixes everything everything that's wrong about you, even broken hearts. There's nothing more you need to do. We come to Jesus, as the song says, just as we are, just as I am. We come to Jesus and he forgives us. There's no catch. There's no strings attached. There's no riders or caveats. He offers forgiveness. Because of the work of the cross. It's a much better story than the stories that are out there. It's a story of grace. It's a story of freedom. It's a story of light and life and spirit. It's a story of eternity and kingdom and restoration and new things. It's a really, really good story. And the best thing about it is it's a true story. So as you walk outside this morning, you're fixed. You're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. You could go in, lay on the lift, let them put you up and check you out. There's nothing to fix. You're 100%. You're 100%. Let's pray. Father, we come before you again uh, as we end this service. God, we're, we often want to say we're broken people, we're sinful people. But can we say this morning to exalt you, Lord Jesus, to exalt you, to bless you, Holy Spirit, your one spirit with us, can we say that we are righteous because of Jesus? We are forgiven because of Jesus. We, everything about us that was wrong has been made right Everything that was broken has been fixed. And we stand in your light and in your love. God, for those of us who've been believers for a long time, help us to reclaim. Reclaim forgiveness. Reclaim wholeness and healing. Reclaim our relationship with you that's pure and sweet and filled with life. God I do pray if there's someone here this morning who has never just just surrendered their heart to you said Lord Jesus I surrender my heart to you None of us understands all this I don't understand all of it None of us does but as best as we can understand we bow before the crucified king We bow before the risen savior you say, save me. God, I pray your blessing on everyone in this room this morning. I pray that we could walk with you in love and in truth, clean and forgiven. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite